We're in a follow-up series uh, related to the events of the end times, which I've entitled, How Then Shall We Live? Because you and I have been called out of this world alongside Israel to be members of the body of Messiah and citizens of the kingdom to come, we're to live as light in the world and also to live lightly in this world, not actually fully in it, which was the subject of last week's message. Now, the major threat at present for Jews and Christians in America is assimilation. That is, as the parable of the sower explains, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. When we try to get things done first and then we get to God instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, persecution is also possible as the Jews know full well that that can break out at any time. For this reason, we're to be in the world as light, but not of it, walking lightly. And I think it's appropriate that we discuss this during Hanukkah because the celebration of Hanukkah is really about Jewish identity and avoiding being assimilated and the struggle against both assimilation and persecution. So today I want to talk about the central issue of countering assimilation, and that is identity, Jewish identity and Christian identity. To do that, I have to address some definitions before we get to the scriptures. So let me begin with the word identity. Identity is a, an awareness of oneself as distinct from others. I am me, and I'm not you. And you are you, and not me. This self-identity is both what makes us individuals and in some sense makes us unique. This identity is made up of relational networks or contexts that are called belongings that give each of us unique individual roles and tasks in relationship to other people. So let me talk about that belonging. Belonging is an awareness of yourself as similar to others. Now, if identity is how I am distinct from others, belonging is how I am similar to others. In this sense, we experience this idea of we or us versus them or they. This belonging can be connected to kinship, it can be communal context or societal groupings and other kinds of relational networks. Examples of that would be ethnicity, race, religion, generation, interest groups like belonging to a glee club or belonging to a martial arts group. Uh, even being something like a dog person or a cat person, if you really significantly pull that into your uh, sense of belonging to a group. So, your identity and your belonging is a subjective but powerful knowledge of who you are. Now, we form our identity through the life cycle, through experiences, both formal and informal, which become internalized into these connections in both a conscious and sometimes unconscious sorting and prioritizing. 
the prioritizing of this cluster of identities, as I called them in my master's thesis on marginal identity, and I talked a little bit about it in my doctoral dissertation. This prioritizing process can, can change as a result of people going through a major transformation or a result of a significant experience or through a decision or commitment. I'm going to talk about that. There really are three levels of this identity and belonging in terms of the uh, sorting. There are three terms that I use for this, primordial identity, significant identity, and utilitarian identity. A primordial identity is a central one which informs and influences all the others. This one is very, very critical. And a change in this level of identity, a change in your primordial identity, will result in a transformation or a conversion of the person. Now, at the next level, there are significant identities that are important, but they can change. In other words, you can go from one identity to another without really causing the requirement of a transformation or a conversion. And then there are utilitarian identities that really are used like accessories to adapt and adjust to immediate social circumstances. And there are also some identities that we actually don't like or we ignore, but others will see us as having those identities. So let me give you an example of each of the three major ones and then one that doesn't matter in my own life. My primordial identity is being a follower, a disciple of Jesus in a Judeo-Christian context. My Judeo-Christian identity informs all other aspects of my identity. Now, one of my identities is as an anthropologist and a professor. Those are significant, but if I woke up tomorrow and wasn't either of those, I would not not be who I am. But if I woke up and I did not have my Judeo-Christian identity, I wouldn't know who I am. Then there are utilitarian identities. I happen to be a martial artist, and that is important. I mean, in, in terms of I'm aware of it, but it's really down on the totem pole compared to these others. So these identities are important. Now, my racial identity, by the way, I'm biracial, Scandinavian, and Native American, but I don't care about that because the ethnic aspects of that are not part of my experience. I grew up without that. So while that may be part of my genetic heritage, it's not part of my uh, development and therefore not really part of my identity. We live in a culture and at a time when the sorting and transformation of identities is happening, happening very rapidly and by new categories that are being generated by non-traditional means. Now, what do I mean by traditional and non-traditional means? When people were growing up prior to the 1960s, for the most part, they, they developed their identity in traditional means. And therefore, they were using traditional categories for that. People were male or female. They might be French. They might be German. They might be Jewish or they might be Christian. 
And these terms might also include things like whatever political party you belong to or your occupation, which is a major one in American historic culture, or being a veteran or being a musician. Now, historically, people's primordial identity was generally tied to their religion and ethnicity. And that informed all other aspects, including their family roles, their gender processing and, and roles, their occupation often was tied to this, and other so-called belongings. Now, America began to be a place where all these differences were subjugated to an individualism that allowed people to make an achieved self uh, rather than an ascribed self. In other words, how you were born didn't determine everything. Those categories weren't what made it. You could rise above that as an individual. So this achieved self became primordial in rugged individualism. And everything else was considered either significant or utilitarian. And at that time, America was a melting pot where more and more people were getting rid of their belongings of religion and ethnicity and other things and melting into this kind of rugged individualism uh, that was part of the American ideal. In the 1960s, that rugged individualism gave way to radical individualism, and there was a move from melting pot to pluralism. But this pluralism was not able to return to those traditional categories, and therefore began to develop new categories. And the area of greatest separation from traditional identity formation has been in the area of sex and gender. So we're seeing that as a major uh, challenge to both Jewish and Christian identity, as I'll talk about when we look at the biblical text. Ideologies also, like Black Lives Matter and this current batch of white supremacists and other emerging identities, have begun to push out the historical American primordial identity, which was occupation or a career. First thing people would say to you when they met you was, what do you do? And we tended in America to identify people by their occupation or their job because we had dropped those other things. But now, these new notions of identity, what we call identity politics, is really affecting how identity is formed. So identity politics and progressive groups on one hand and Christian nationalists and white nationalists are vying for the prime place in directing the future of the American experiment. But that is not our battle. And if we get caught up in that fight, we will certainly become assimilated from our primordial identity as Jews and Christians following the God of Israel and the Messiah of Israel to progressives and conservatives in an American political framework. So I want us to not think in those terms. I want us to think in terms of our primordial identities being in, if you were Jewish, it would be uh, uh, Judaism and Jewishness. And if, it, if you're a Christian, it would be being a Christian. Uh, Judeo-Christian is the term I use because I don't want to separate the connection that we have.
So we're going to begin with Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 11. The Apostle Paul, in speaking to the Philippians, says to them, Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, uh, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which comes by obedience to the law, blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Messiah. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the Torah, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which comes from God, on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, in these verses, Paul gives us his primordial identity. He is what he calls the true circumcision. That is, a true Israelite. What is he talking about? He says he was circumcised on the eighth day, as the Torah requires, and he is of the nation of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. In this statement, he demonstrates the two fundamental aspects of Jewish identity. Covenantal connection through Abraham, and being the seed of Abraham through Jacob, who was called Israel. Often people talk about Jewish identity being about covenant and being about peoplehood, and there's battles there. The Bible really sees those two signs almost like kosher has the two signs, the two signs being needed for that. But he goes beyond this. He claims to be a Hebrew of the Hebrews and a member of the Pharisees, and in his zeal, a persecutor of heretics, the church, which he thought was heresy, he found out differently. And in terms of his piety of the Torah, he considers himself blameless. Now that doesn't mean he's without sin. It means that his life is directed by Torah, including the repentance and sacrifices and prayers that he would do when he had fallen short of the mark. All of these latter issues are related to Israel being a light to the Gentiles and a separated people. Remember, Israel was created as a people directly by God, unlike all of the nations which were scattered at Babylon. And so for Paul, his Jewish identity was primordial, but now was informed and transformed by his identity in Messiah. He does not exchange his identity as a Jew. But it is now connected both to this world and, more importantly, to the next. Because Paul is in this world, in this creation, but he is also part of the next world, the creation to come.
as are we. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to pick up on this issue of the resurrection that Paul is talking about and explain to you why we must form in our children and in our converts a very strong primordial identity, first, foremost, and above all, as in Messiah. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. In verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we're made manifest also in your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer to those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, because he's bragging about himself, it is for God. And if and if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. That depending on whether we're in our relationship to God or to you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who might live uh, could um, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Uh, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Okay? Now, listen to this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses again against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, there's a lot in this, but I want you to catch what Paul was saying. The death and resurrection of Jesus both reconciled this creation, purging the sin and bringing the promises in Messiah as yes and amen in him. So he also, God, began his new creation. The very first part of the new creation is the resurrected body of Jesus. It was that which is the seed of all the new creation. So if anyone is in Messiah, he is also a new creation. And part of that new creation, as Paul quotes Isaiah 65, regarding the new heavens and the new earth. You and I have been born again in our spirit. That's part of the new creation. Our mind is supposed to be transformed into this new identity. And at the return of the Lord, our bodies will be brought into the new creation by resurrection. So Paul says, from now on, we do not recognize or evaluate anyone according to the flesh of this present creation. Not even Jesus. 
We don't think of him merely as incarnation, but beyond the incarnation to the resurrection. And we now know him as the disciples saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration in his full glory. Now this is incredible because it makes our primordial identity as being in Christ and in members one of another, both in this world, but with the primordial identity connecting also into the world to come. Now I said earlier that uh, identity is internalized through experience. That is why the home and the congregation relationships and experiences are critical to identity formation in our children. What you saw today uh, with, with the Rollins and what they're doing with their children and what you're all doing with your children is giving them experiences that can be internalized by the Spirit of God and the Word of God so that they begin to have a sense of us, a sense of belonging to the body of Messiah. And their identity then can be experientially reinforced by means of spiritual disciplines in the word and in prayer and uh, in fasting and in the stewardships of our relationships and our resources and our gifting and all of those things that we do, our time. This identity must compete with the experience of the world. And the world is seeking to assimilate us and our children. Now, for the most part, the world has given up on you and me if you're an adult. But they are really focused and targeting the children in media, in social media, in education, in sports, in entertainment, and in identity politics. And if the religious experience of our children is minimal or without internalization and without reinforcement, they will go out from us and they will not return. So we must, in our homes, in our congregations, and in our everyday life, make sure that they experience truth as expressed in our faith, our trust of God, and our obedience in doing the word and acknowledging God in all our ways so that their primordial identity is in the Messiah as Messianic Jews if they're Jewish and Judeo-Christians if, they're, if they uh, came formally out of the nations, right? The relationship to God through Messiah must be central to who I am and who we are. That identity and belonging must take place in the home, in real everyday experience, not just in the ritual, and in the congregational experience of our children and our converts. And we need to reinforce it so it becomes a vaccine against the virus of the world, which is assimilation. Now, you and I have no idea how difficult this is going to be for our children and for our grandchildren because they are growing up in a world that is no longer Jewish and Christian friendly. It is becoming more and more hostile and more and more considers us to be haters. And that's going to push some to not want to fully identify as a, uh, as a believer. I had a terrible experience when I was um, uh, 16. 
I, um, I was very active being a musician. That really was my primordial identity. And I was a Christian. I was what uh, today I call a layaway Christian. I said the magic words. I had my insurance thing. But I really wasn't committed to lordship and walking that way. And I was in my 1949 Chevrolet with a, uh, my friend who was a drummer in our band. He passed away the next year. Um, and he popped open my the glove box of my 49 Chevy and saw a little picture of Jesus uh, that I had been carrying around in my Bible and had fallen out of my Bible and was in there. And he said, what is this? And I said, oh, that's my dad. You know, he's kind of religious now, which was totally untrue at the time uh, in that context. My dad had really come to faith uh, right after that. Um, but I was, I was ashamed and embarrassed of that because I knew he might mock me a little bit. Well, we're beyond the time when our children will be mocked. We may reach a time when people really have to endure a fellowship in the sufferings of the Lord, as Paul is talking about, that we may know him and his resurrection. Our battle is not a political battle. There's a battle for the soul of our children, and it's satanic. And it's working in the children of darkness and disobedience in this culture. And American Jews and Christians cannot afford to make this a political issue and think that we're going to solve it with politics. Our battle is against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So what we do and how we do it to express it needs to include a mindset that knows and understands the concepts and goals of the world. And then we're able to say to our children and our converts, as Paul said, there are many gods and many lords among men, but for us there is one. And that's where I'm going next week. Because there are many so-called concepts of sexuality and gender and marriage and race and careers and ways of living life. But for us, there is a way to walk that has been given us in God's Word and leads us by His Spirit who is in us both to make us willing and able to do. So next week my message will be entitled, But For Us, and I'm going to bring out each of those categories where the battle is taking place and where you have to be prepared to say to your children when they say, this is what I've been told or this is what I've heard, you're going to have to say, that is true for them, but for us, it is not so. This is the way we will live. Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll take some Q&A.